Welcome to the Orange Socks Podcast, where we are inspiring life despite a diagnosis. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Nebaker. In this episode, I speak with Allie and Tyler about their three children with disabilities. Their oldest, Jack, has Asperger's, or Autism Spectrum Disorder. Their second child, Amelia, was diagnosed with anencephaly during a 20-week pregnancy checkup. She passed away two days after she was born. Their youngest son, Owen, has albinism and is legally blind. Despite these challenges, or perhaps because of them, Allie and Tyler have a positive attitude, consider themselves blessed, and wouldn't change anything about these experiences. Allie and Tyler, thank you so much for taking the time to do an Orange Sox interview with me about your three children. And your story is very unique in that you have three children with some very unique issues. So why don't you just tell me your story? Thanks for having us on here. We really are glad that we're able to be in a community with such supportive people who are going through hard times but are able to see the happiness in their lives. Allie and I got married about 10 years ago. So we have three children and all three have different diagnosis. Our first diagnosis was when I was pregnant with our daughter, Amelia. So she was our second child. We're going in for the 20 week ultrasound We're looking at the ultrasound and all of a sudden she gets really quiet. We're chatting, chatting, and then it's like dead silent. It was just you and her in the room. Tyler was in the waiting room because Jack, our oldest, was little. He was a toddler and they said, we can't have toddlers in here. So I was all alone. They said, let's go get Tyler and go upstairs to see the doctor. We keep trying to be like, hey, why is everybody acting weird? Why can't we find out if our baby's a boy or a girl? That's really all we want to know. We had to beg and beg to go see a substitute doctor. This poor soul of a doctor has to be the one to break it to us that they found in the ultrasound that our baby had anencephaly which is a neural tube defect, brain defect, that causes their brain not to form much above the brain stem. They wanted to make sure that we knew in that appointment that our baby had no chance of survival. I remember the doctor sitting and looking at us and saying, would you like to terminate the pregnancy? As he's saying this, I can feel her kicking inside of me and I'm thinking, no way, this is our child. And I didn't know If it was a boy or a girl, we really didn't know a lot, but we knew enough that this was a spirit inside of me. This was our child, and there was no way we could terminate our child's life. That night, we went home. We became crazy Google people and learned everything that we could about anencephaly online, and it was hard. It was really, really hard. As far as everything that we knew at the time, we knew we were dealing with something that'd be life-ending for her. But nonetheless, she was part of our family, and we wanted to try to do the things that could help us bond the best with her, knowing that Allie would carry her for nine months. We knew that she was meant to be part of our family, and that's kind of the thing that really mattered to us. She was more than just the condition that she had. She was a person to us. So we wanted to do everything we could to make sure that whatever we could do to to cherish that time with her, we would do that. Yeah, to honor her life. We loved her. At this point, I'd been growing her inside of me for five months. 
So the next day we found out that it was a girl and I knew immediately that her name was Amelia. We spent the rest of my pregnancy bonding with her. It was really, really hard. I remember I spent my 24th birthday picking out a casket for my daughter to be buried in and buying a burial plot. It was hard and right after we found out, we moved away from my family and moved up to the Bay Area and had to basically start over. We really lost a lot of our family support and our church support. We did it for my work. And so I had my work to go back to when I was like frustrated or didn't want to think about how sad I was. I had work to go back to, but you were at home with Jack at the time. Yeah, our son, he was about a year and a half. It was hard. People would ask me about my pregnancy and it was really hard to put a smile on my face and pretend like everything was okay because you don't want to just dump the weight of this prognosis on the lady at the grocery store who's asking about it. When we moved up there, we found our new church community and everyone was so supportive. Everybody just embraced me with open arms. With almost every new friend I made, it was, oh, congratulations, you're pregnant. And then have to tell them, but just so you know, like, we're having a daughter, but she's gonna die soon after birth. That never got easier. You did meet a lot of people who had gone through similar things. We made good friends with a couple of people who had also lost their children really young. Yes, that were very supportive and loving of us. We just needed a lot of love at that time. And I feel like despite moving, we got that and that was really cool. Knowing that Amelia wouldn't survive, Allie and Tyler opted to carry her to term, doing the hard work to get through the red tape to make sure Amelia would be an organ donor for other babies. They were able to meet with hospitals and hospital boards to create a plan detailing the parameters for Amelia's organ donation. People thought we were crazy and that maybe it would be a waste of time, but we kept trying knowing that it was maybe one way in which Amelia's life could have some purpose for everybody. I asked them if they regretted their decision to carry Amelia to term. Oh, not at all. When I felt her kicking, when the doctor was telling us that your baby has a fatal birth defect and she's not going to live, there's 0% chance your baby will live. And I'm feeling her kicking inside my belly and I just knew like, no way, like we have to see this through to the end and it's not my choice of when the ending is. Like I wanted her to choose and that was so important to me. It was a time of mixed emotions. There were babies who needed the organs and everyone was waiting for Amelia to die, which would happen so her organs could be harvested. Yet Allie and Tyler cherished their time with Amelia. The doctor had told us there's a really good chance that she will probably die during the birth. It's really hard on their bodies because they don't have the cushion along their skull and their head. She kind of just gave me signs, I feel like, all throughout my pregnancy, and I was really scared while I was in labor that I couldn't feel her as much, and I was really scared that she was gonna die right before I was gonna meet her. And I remember as the doctor is telling me, okay, we're getting ready to push, she started kicking me. And I could like feel her kicking me and I thought, okay, she's alive and she can't wait to meet us. And that was kind of like another sign that 
she's meant to be ours and I couldn't take that away from her. She's in our family. One of the parameters designated by the hospital board was that Amelia needed to live an optimal number of hours after birth, ensuring that the organs to be donated were viable for the recipient. Amelia survived longer than the optimal time window, which meant that only her heart valves could be donated. But at least another child benefited from this selfless donation. Throughout all of this, we can help other babies and we didn't get that. It was heartbreaking, that was hard to deal with. Being in the hospital with her and wishing she would die earlier so that we could help these other babies. At the end of the day, if we had to choose between the two, I think we're happy that we got to spend two and a half days with our daughter rather than anything else. Yeah, we're happy with how it ended up. It was really bittersweet. The doctor's prognosis was she'll either die before we give birth or during birth, or she'll live a few minutes, maybe a couple hours if you're lucky. And so we got two and a half days with her and we were able to bring her home. It was so beautiful. It was so nice to have all of that time with her. Really bring her in as part of our family. It was crazy getting to the two day mark and then realizing she could live another hour, she could live another couple of days. You just don't know. We're just taking it as it comes. The moment came where it's like, oh, we need to go home and get the car seat. We put her in it, realizing kind of the irony of the situation of keeping her alive with the car seat, mind you. We brought her home and cuddled her on our couch. She lived about 12 hours after that. Those were really special moments. We had a photographer there to take a picture right after the birth. We assumed that it would be really short, but the photographer was there on and off for a couple of days. And we have tons of pictures from the hospital and they're like sacred to us, those pictures. It was just a really neat experience. Really, really, really hard, but I would do it over again. It was worth it. it I mean, not like we got to pick, but... It's not even to underscore how difficult it was buying a burial plot, burying our daughter in our 20s. We had such great support. We knew that what we were doing was the right thing and the organ donation didn't fully pan out, but it was still a really great experience. And we met a lot of great people through that. Two years later, we had Owen and it was already like an emotional pregnancy. It was already not feeling ready. I don't know if you'll ever feel ready for another pregnancy after you've buried your baby. I was just really scared and it was really hard on me. And I remember after he was born thinking, wow, we're going to take home a healthy baby from the hospital. Like it was just surreal. But soon after we brought him home, we'd be feeding him and he'd stare at the lights above us. About a weekend, his eyes started wiggling back and forth. Just kind of knew deep down that something wasn't right and started pestering the doctors, yeah. <laughs> trying to get an appointment and keep getting pushed off. I kept asking, something is going on. A lot of doctors would just kind of wave it off. They'd say, oh, it's okay. Babies don't see really great until they're about five or six months old. But Allie kept on prodding and, and to her credit, we finally got an appointment with an ophthalmologist. We're in the hallway and she comes in, she flips on the lights and Owen immediately just shrinks back and starts closing his eyes. And that was her first tip off that Owen had albinism. Albinism 
is a condition where your body doesn't produce enough melanin. And melanin is what gives our bodies our skin color. A lot of people notice albino children and people because they have really pasty white skin. It isn't just your skin. The pigment is also what blocks a lot of UV rays. It also is in our eyes and prevents a lot of light from flooding into our eyes. And as a result, he has a whole slew of, of eye issues. I'll always remember that because Allie and I are pretty fair skinned, we're pretty light we're skinned ourselves. We're pasty. <laughs> the ophthalmologist says, well, his skin may be normal because you guys are pretty white yourselves. I remember looking at the doctor and thinking like, well, I was right. Something was wrong. So I kind of reveled in the fact of like, okay, well, I knew something was wrong and that kind of soothed me initially. But then I realized like we're dealing with something that would last for the rest of his life. And that was a heavy weight to take on, especially two years after we lost our daughter. So I kind of like felt slapped in the face by God. I was angry. I was supposed to be getting this perfectly healthy, normal child, and I didn't. It's hard as a dad to hear that your little boy likely won't ever be able to hit a baseball or do like normal sports things. A lot of them aren't impossible, but some of them actually playing baseball is it's gonna be very a, difficult for yeah, him. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. If he wants to try baseball, we will not hold him back from that. But he does have different things. He has depth perception issues. Nystagmus is where his eyes wiggle back and forth all the time, all day long. Strabismus, he tilts his head to try to focus his eyes. Once we got over the fact that our child has this lifelong disability, you know, did all the research, grieved the loss of the child that we thought we would have, and just accepted this as our new normal, things kind of got easier. Getting a hat and sunglasses and sunscreen on him every single time we go outside. Once he got his glasses, a lot of people saw like outward changes happening to him and they just assumed he's getting better now, right? So he's gonna grow out of this and just be normal like all the other kids. It was kind of hard to explain to these people uh, know what he has. It's a disability. He's always going to have limited vision. And while we're always going to be there helping him to work around and to do the best with what he has, his abilities are different than us in some ways. Couldn't see our faces until he was five months old. And that was really, really hard on me. Emotionally, I feel like I was a wreck. But once he got glasses, about six months old, he started seeing us more. His vision was definitely different. He's legally blind. We had a lot of hurdles to overcome, but glasses made all the difference. And just having a support system of educators around us and we found the right doctors. He ended up getting surgery. He was about two years old when he had the opportunity to have a surgery to help with his eyes, the jitteriness that this swings back and forth with nystagmus. And, he comes out just great through the surgery. And then you could say, hey, Owen, can I see your magic eyes? And he'd walk up to you and he'd pull up his glasses just above his eyebrows. And then he'd look at you intently like six inches away from your face. And you could see his eyes 
more still than they were before. And he was so content with himself. And it was so amazing to see that even with a two-year-old child, how much of a difference a procedure like that made for him. So we love calling his eyes his magic eyes. He's just a very happy little kid. He's charming. He's so much fun to be around. He adapts really well. He has a great memory. I like to think that some of that is because he doesn't see so well. And so things that you tell him, he absorbs like a sponge. Yeah, we feel like his other senses are a lot stronger. I feel like sometimes we're we're nitpicky. We see the, the times that he'll just walk off of a curb and not realize that there was a drop off right there. Or he'll trip or he'll run into things. And, you know, we see all of that. But in the end, it's our job to be as supportive and loving as possible and we are trying to give him every opportunity we are trying to get him through his school we're going to try to get him to learn braille and then right now he's also doing cane training which he's very excited he's very about. excited about using a white cane so it's fun to see how we've all embraced his albinism i think when he was a baby i was kind of in that grieving process and i wished every day that he didn't have this and it would just go away and you know why us why us but now my perspective has totally changed i couldn't see him any other way it's just who he is that kind of takes us to our oldest child who's jack when jack was little around one and a half two years old we started seeing some differences in him he was evaluated for speech and so we did speech for maybe three years, four years. His struggles were unique from other kids. What his peers were going through was usually not what Jack was going through. It was really hard because he's a really happy kid and he's also really smart. Yeah, he taught himself to read, but we noticed his interactions with his peers were just different. He struggled a little bit socially. We finally took him in for a diagnosis and got the diagnosis of Asperger's. By that time we thought, okay, like third time around, we can handle this. But it's kind of troubling for us that this was like under our noses the whole time. It made it a little bit harder emotionally because- We felt like we'd missed something. Yeah, we feel like we missed something that we could have helped him earlier. But at the same time, we already felt kind of emboldened that we knew that we could help him. We knew places where we could look. We knew the network was there to help. Yes, third time's a charm, we've got this. So I think we shed a few tears driving home from that appointment. And then it was kind of off to real life of, you know what, we've been through two other diagnoses before. This third one is not gonna break us. I'm supposed to be his mom. We didn't get that diagnosis just so that we could apply a label to him. We got that diagnosis so that we could learn how to help him. We know another family that I grew up with that had a child. He had some behavioral issues, but the family kind of tried to hide it and push it down. We look back at it and we think, well, would it have helped him to know or to not know? Would he have liked to just not have that label applied or would he have liked to, to maybe have the label, but also have a network of people to help him that understood what the label meant who were equipped to, to help him overcome the obstacles that he had. So spoiler alert, we like to know. We love more information. We feel empowered with information. We feel very strongly as a family that it helps our kids to know their diagnosis. And so Owen knows that he has albinism and Jack knows that he has Asperger's and it's just 
very factual, like this is what it is, it opens up doors for us to talk about it and just normalize it because this is our normal. And the more that our kids grew up and the more we grew up, we realized that everybody has their own story to it. And some people have very visible stories. Oh, and it's pretty apparent when you see him outdoors with his hat and sunglasses, especially if he has his cane, that, that <laughs> he has some things that he's working through. And some people have things like that that are less visible. The disabilities we have with both of our boys are a lot less visible than other people are dealing yeah. with. Our kids know that they can do anything they put their head to. They know that some things they have to work hard for and that's life and life is hard for different people in different ways. He wants to feel loved and we don't want to brainwash him to like fit our mold of a normal person but we want to help him so that he can be self-aware so that he can learn how to be himself but to understand how that affects other people. Yes. Because that's the big thing for him is understanding how other people feel in reaction to what he's doing. Yes, we have to teach him feelings. And I think that was something that we noticed when he was little was he's not quite understanding what it's like to be angry, yes. to be anxious, to feel sick, to feel happy. We kind of saw a disconnect there. And so now he's seven and a half, so we have a feelings book and I wrote down a bunch of different feelings and has pictures of kids around his age expressing that emotion. So if it's angry, it's a kid, you know, with hands on its hips, making angry face. And then we write the definition and then we're starting to fill in a sentence of times that he has felt that emotion. And that's something that has been so helpful for him. So you have had three children with very, very different disabilities. What advice would you give to another parent that may have multiple children with disabilities? Don't be afraid to parent your children differently. You need to adapt to that specific child. Going into parenting, I thought, I'm going to treat them all the same. You want to be fair, but it's not. Jack has more of a cognitive disability and Owens is more of a physical disability. and. Just being aware of it and accepting that as a parent, that sometimes we have to be flexible, just makes all the difference. And it's made a huge difference in our family and the routines. The boys are accepting of that too. My engineer brain tells me that rather than looking at it as like a label that you apply to people, you really think about like a symptom and a fix. Rather than looking at it through the lens of Owen has albinism, let's find albinism fixes, it's Owen is tripping over the curb, so how can we help him not trip over the curb? What's the cause for that? And how can we help him to do that on his own? You have to take a lot of extra care to, to teach him. No matter what your child can or can't do, they actually can do a lot. And chances are they can do more than you'll feel like they're able to do when you first find out about your child's diagnosis. Oh yeah, um, you think the worst you, in the beginning. Yeah, you fear the worst. And really it ends up being a little bit better than that and, and it'll surprise you at times. Sometimes the problem is that your anxiety, your nervousness will kind of project. project onto the child and they'll kind of feel nervous about those things. And you have to learn to kind of bridle that and, and to let them experience things. You don't want them to not do something 
because of you're afraid of because failure of the title or because you're afraid that they'll fail you want them to do it and find out that it isn't good we're still um, learning that obviously we like are still if learning owen that. wants to do baseball we're gonna have yeah. to let him try it this fall is going to be pretty interesting. We're going to put him in soccer, and we're hoping maybe the bigger ball and the fact that when you're four years old, soccer is like a mob mentality. Yeah, everybody's so crazy. He, he can probably follow the mob pretty well. Yeah. We'll see how it goes, and we'll listen to whether he likes it or not. Because at the end of the day, if it's really hard for him, it's not like he's just going to like cry on the field. He's just going to lose interest, and that's okay. The, the trick is finding the things that he wants to do. It's certainly empowering to help your kids and to help them work around these things and, and see how much they learn and how happy they are doing things that they see other kids doing or that you can do with them. Just laugh, laughing through it. Like, that's kind of how we've gotten through. Yeah. I mean, by the third diagnosis, it was like, okay, well, this is just our family. Like, we're going to be unique, and we just kind of owned it. and. This is us. A lot of these things are things that really apply to all children. We've noticed that the things that we've learned with Jack, for example, they're things that have helped Owen a lot and they've helped other children around us. The things that we do for these precious children with special needs, they're things I kind of wish I knew like all along so that I could help people. They really help you know how to help other people around you and identify people in need. Just remember the way that you felt or the way that you feel when you're around these precious children and to, to think about um, the people around you in a different way because a lot of us are intimately familiar with our children and the struggles they face, but sometimes we don't see and we're insensitive to the people around us and the struggles that we don't know. I appreciate being able to get to know you guys a little bit and your family and your story is interesting. I have... I've interviewed families that have had multiple children with disabilities, but they're typically the same disability. Yours are so unique. Your story is terrific. I want to thank you for taking the time to do this interview with me. So thank you both very much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. Orange Socks is an initiative of Rise Incorporated, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting and advocating for people with disabilities. Follow Orange Socks on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, orangesocks.org, for more stories and to find national and local resources to help parents of children with disabilities.